Good morning. Uh, how many of you have a pet? Anybody, any pets? A few, a lot of you have pets. Wow. Uh, and some of you, I'm sure, have dogs, right? Dogs. We're dog lovers here in Colorado. I know that. Uh, they're great on the trail. They, they can sense those snakes before we walk up on them, all that fun stuff. Uh, and I am sure that your dog is a great dog. I'm sure your dog is a loyal dog. But I'm willing to bet your dog doesn't hold a candle to a dog that lived in the 19th century in Edinburgh, Scotland. His name was Greyfriar Bobby. Uh, he was uh, just sort of a, a round town kind of dog. Uh, a guy named John Gray, who uh, was a night watchman for the police there in Edinburgh, uh, ended up taking care of Greyfriar Bobby and uh, they would be seen together as he walked his rounds. But Greyfriar Bobby actually has a statue uh, of himself there or itself, however you want to think about it, uh, there in Edinburgh. And why? Well, because after John Gray died in 1858, uh, Greyfire Bobby kept going to John Gray's grave every single day for 14 years. For 14 years, he guarded the grave of this man that he uh, worked with and walked with. And, and so people were so impressed by the loyalty and the, if you will, the faithfulness of this animal that he became a legend. Movies have been made about him. Books have been written. I mean, he's got a statue. I mean, they, they have John Knox buried in the parking lot behind the church and they've got a statue of the dog right there out where everybody can see it. You, you figure that out. I, I don't know how that works. But that is a loyal and faithful dog. I think that we all appreciate when we hear stories like that and we think, wow, isn't it great that animals can be so loyal. And we often uh, then think, I wish people could be like that as well. And you may be wondering, what does any of this have to do with the fruit of the Spirit? And if you're wondering that, thank you for paying attention uh, to, to where we are. Well, we are uh, on the last three of the fruit of the Spirit. And we come to this fruit of the Spirit that's translated in the ESV as faithfulness. Now, uh, let's talk just a little bit. We're going to be a little geeky here. The word that's translated faithfulness uh, is a Greek word, pistis, uh, which almost everywhere else uh, in the New Testament, and as a matter of fact, the 20 times that Paul has already used that Greek word in the book of Galatians has been translated faith. It's the same word as faith. And so why is it that we decided whenever the ESV was translated that faithfulness uh, would be a good translation? Well, that's because of context. Because here we're in the middle of a list of virtues that Paul says should be the result of the Spirit working in the life of a Christian. And so this is someone who already has expressed faith in Jesus Christ, who is already living by faith in him in their life. Life. Uh, but this is a characteristic then uh, that is faith being expressed in the way that we are dependable 
and can be counted on by God and other people. As a matter of fact, uh, when we look at that understanding of the word pistis or faithfulness, uh, it's defined by uh, Dr. Douglas Moo as a state of being someone in whom complete confidence can be placed. Being someone in whom complete confidence uh, can be placed. This is the idea. Now, having said that, I do think it's important uh, as we look at this word for us to cover two things here at the beginning of this message. While it may not be primarily a word pointing to the reality of faith, I at least want us to talk about faith just a little bit. So here's what we're going to do as we look through this passage together. We're going to look at saving faith, living faith, a foundational faithfulness, and then finally, uh, reflective faith. And so first, saving faith. As we come to this word, like I said, predominantly, and this word is used all over the New Testament, and it's usually translated faith. Sometimes it's referring to the faith. Uh, the whole set of beliefs about Jesus Christ, who he is and what he's done. Uh, but more than not, we see it as a description of what we do when we take God at his word. When we trust in him, when we believe what he has said and we lean on what he has done. We really see that beautifully in uh, John chapter 20 and verse 30 and 31. The apostle John, after writing this beautiful and amazing gospel, uh, at the, toward the very end of his book, he tells us why he wrote the gospel. He says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. I love it. John says, look, why have I written all of this? It's so that you have a particular kind of faith, a faith that changes your life a faith that moves you from darkness to light, from death unto life. He wants you to know a truth that changes everything. And what, at, what is that? That Jesus is God who became man. That he lived a perfect life. That he did all of these miracles pointing to the reality of who he was. And then at the end of that life, he died on a cross to bear the penalty and the judgment for sin. And then he rose from the grave to show that he had done that completely. John says, I wrote this gospel so that you will believe that. So that you will have faith in him. So that you will understand that God did not leave you by yourself or in a mess. But he loved you so much that he came to you. In Jesus, and He has done everything necessary for you to be in relationship with Him, not only now, but forever. I love it uh, that John says, so that you may have, uh, so that you may believe in Jesus, that He is the Christ, the Son of God, and that in believing that you may have life in His name. John says that I wrote this whole book so that you will have saving faith. A faith that saves you from guilt and sin. And often when we see this word in the New Testament, that's what it says. And to be truthful, before we start talking about the characteristic of faithfulness, I think we need to start with, do I have that saving faith? 
You may be somebody who's heard the story of Jesus maybe half a time or one time or a hundred times or a thousand times, but did you know that reading and learning about Jesus has a point, a trajectory to which it should conclude and that that is by you believing in it, by you trusting in him, by you saying, I agree with what the Bible says about Jesus. And I don't trust in myself or how good I am or how well I'm doing, but I trust only in him. That's what John and all the writers of the New Testament want for you. They want for you to have a saving faith. But then there's a second kind of faith. It's very related to this first idea of a saving faith. And that is a a, a living faith, a living faith. Uh, Already in Galatians, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, we hear the Apostle Paul say, I have been crucified with Christ. Isn't that great? That's Paul saying, I've come to that point of understanding that I don't depend on myself, but I identify myself so much with Jesus that what's true of him has become true of me. And and I've been crucified with Christ. And he says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Don't you love it? The Apostle Paul is saying faith is not a one-time experience. Saving faith is essential. Yes, you have to come to that place where you understand what the Bible says about Jesus and trust it. But it's not something that's just one time. It's something that's in every single day of your life kind of thing. There is a living faith. Paul says, the life I live right now, many years after I met Jesus on the road to Damascus, the life I live right now, I live by faith. That is, I continue to find my identity, my significance in Jesus. I continue to look to him for the strength the grace and the wisdom to live this life. That's what Paul is saying. I no longer live. I love that. You couldn't make a a, a more stark contrast. He's saying, spiritually speaking, it's my goal that, that Paul slash Saul, he doesn't exist. I just want Jesus to be here in me and working through me. And how does he step-by-step approach that kind of life, he says he does it by faith. And folks, Paul has been talking about this throughout the book of Galatians, so I don't want to necessarily overdo it, but I just want to reiterate one more time that living faith is so crucial that we do not have that mistaken idea in her mind that faith something we had. Faith is something we have. And that we live by. Because here's the the human heart temptation. Is to say, well, I am thankful for what Jesus did. I'm so glad that I can trust in him and escape judgment and know I get to go to heaven. But right now, I am doing it in my own strength. By my own effort. By my own ability. By my own talent. What really gives me significance. What really makes me feel good about myself is how many good things I've done today. Or how many bad things I've avoided. Or worse yet, how much better I am than other people around me. And, we think, and that's what we live by. 
We live by our own efforts or by how much or slightly better our efforts are than all of the terrible people that we read about in, on the internet. But instead, we need to make sure our faith has grown with us, not just from when we trusted in Jesus, but that it is something that we live in and by right now. That what gives me meaning, significance, and worth is just Jesus. Just Jesus. And so I continue to live by faith in him, looking to him for strength and direction and leadership. It's why we call him Lord, because he's still in charge. He's still the master of our life. He's still the one who determines how we are and what we do because we live by faith. So there you go, I've covered those two things. It's absolutely crucial we understand those two things. That we understand saving faith, that we understand a living faith. But then I want us to understand this foundational faithfulness. You've already heard it today. One beautiful thing about our staff actually writing our confessions of sin as we've gone through this series is they're amazingly tied uh, to the text. And already in our confession of sin, you've confessed a truth about God that is this foundational reality. You find it in Deuteronomy chapter 7. Uh, I'm going to read a little bit more of the context, uh, beginning in verse 6. This is God speaking to Israel, the people of God, that he's called out of slavery from Egypt and into relationship with himself. And he's giving them a little bit of the history about their relationship with him. This is great stuff. Deuteronomy chapter 7, beginning in verse 6, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you I love that. I love that. Don't you love that? I've said this to people. I'm going to say it to you again. If you have a spouse or a child or a parent who says, why do you love me? You just say, because I love you. That's what God does to these people. He goes, I've just always loved you. I chose you to love you. And it wasn't because you were the biggest or strongest or, or most wonderful group of people. It's just because I wanted to love you. I love it. I've lost my place. I chose you, <laughs> but verse eight, because it, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. I love that. He says, why did I deliver you from slavery? Because I love you. Now, this is being written to the children of Israel as they have been taken out of a, a real uh, physical slavery. But you know, these words can be personalized by each one of us as God, because of his love, has rescued us from the slavery to sin, to guilt, 
and to the fear of death. And why did he do that? Just because he loves us. Verse 9, now know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Did you hear that? He says, I've loved you. That's why I rescued you. And I want you to know this. I'm a faithful God. That is, if we look back at our definition, the state of being someone in whom complete confidence can be placed, God says, that ultimately only describes me. I'm the only one. And all the universe in whom complete confidence can be placed because I am a faithful God. He says, I will show that faithfulness for a thousand generations. And you know what? We're still sitting here today under the umbrella of God's love and electing love. And it shows off the faithfulness of God for a thousand generations. Isn't that great? That's the foundational faithfulness. As we've said in each of these characteristics that Paul is praying, the people of God in Galatia and the people of God in Colorado Springs will exhibit, they are all rooted in the character of God and who he is and his attributes and the way he describes himself. And here, as he's trying to help the people who have been slaves for over 400 years get to know him, he says, here is definitely one thing you need to know. I am faithful. You can count on me. Now, I know you're like, okay, good. God is faithful. What what does that mean for me? How do I know, how do I observe if faithfulness is growing in me? How do I know if the spirit is at work in me doing what Paul wants? that I see the fruit of the spirit of faithfulness. Well, how do we know? Well, let's look at descriptions of how God is faithful. And then we can ask ourselves, are we seeing at least a reflection of that faithfulness? Do we have a reflective faith? We can see it in many different places. In Romans chapter three, verse three through four, I love it, Paul's in the middle of a description of how every person, whether they're a Jew or a Gentile, is uh, liable to God, to judgment because of our sin. And he, in the middle of this context, he writes uh, this as he describes that some people who actually know an awful lot about God haven't done what he said. Uh, Paul writes this in Romans 3, 3 through 4. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true and everyone were a liar. As it is written that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. I love that. I love that comment. That's such a beautiful quote, isn't it? You know, let me read that, the part that really hits me. Uh, Let God be true, though everyone was a liar. I love that. In other words, Paul is saying it doesn't matter if every single person who claims to be a follower of God is in fact faithless. It doesn't make God any less faithful. He says God is true even if everybody else is a liar. And I don't mean to offend you guys, but we're all liars at times. 
but it doesn't deteriorate the truthfulness of God. That is an aspect of his faithfulness. Okay, so let's ask a question. If our job as people made in the image of God, designed to reflect his glory, his character in this world, if a way God shows his faithfulness is that he is true, even if everybody else is a liar, then I think that means that if we're a reflection of that kind of faithfulness, that we will be speakers of the truth. That we will seek by God's grace to grow by his spirit in the ability to speak the truth. Now I know that sometimes people say, well, being faithful is just being nice. You know, is just being there and giving that little smile, that grin of acquiescence. Well, no. God is not just there. He's there and is speaking the truth. You know, Tim Keller, when he uh, talks about this particular fruit of the Spirit, he says that the counterfeit of this is the counterfeit of someone who's faithful is someone who never speaks the truth in the moment of need to the one who needs to hear it. That's not being faithful. Because it's not being helpful, God is true. That's, that's how he expresses his faithfulness. And related to this is he's straightforward. Uh, I love it. In 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 1, verse 18 and 19, this is such a majestic passage. I, I almost hate to just quote these awesome passages, but hopefully it'll cause you to go back and read and think about the context and what these passages are saying. But uh, here in 2 Corinthians, Paul is defending himself because clearly the church in Corinth think uh, that he plays it fast and loose with the truth. Uh, because he had said he wanted to come see them and he didn't come see them. And so there's a controversy going on here. And, and Paul is saying, look, that's not the way I am. That's not my character. That's not the way I understand faithfulness. And so in 2 Corinthians 1, 18 through 20, we read, as surely as God is faithful. Uh, I love that. Paul says, look, let's start with God's faithful faithfulness. He's faithful. As surely as God is faithful, our word to you, Paul speaking to the Corinthian church, has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Sylvanius and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why through him that we utter our amen to, the glory, to God for his glory. I love that. Paul is saying, I love it. Paul throws in, in the middle of a description uh, about God being straightforward. He's not yes and no. That means he's not uh, flippant. He, he doesn't go back and forth. He's not inconsistent. He would never make it in politics, right? He, he's never. I try to see if you're awake every now and then. It's a test. I'm not going to tell you your score, but it's not great. Um, anyway, so God's not like that. God's not slippery. He doesn't go back and forth. He does it. It's not sometimes yes and sometimes no. That's what Paul says. And as a matter of fact, in the middle of that, he gives this glorious truth. He says, in reality, every single promise God has made is yes in Jesus. Man, that one will make your heart sing. 
Every single promise finds its yes in Jesus. And so you say, how did God fulfill that promise? Look to Jesus. He says that when we understand that, we say, amen, may it be so to the glory of God. Because God doesn't flip back and forth. It's not sometimes yes and sometimes no. It's always yes. God is always faithful to his word. And what Paul is saying, God is faithful in this way. Did you notice that? It's like a, it's like a, a sandwich. At the beginning of the sandwich, he says God is faithful. At the end of the sandwich, he says God shows his faithfulness and every single promise finds its yes in Jesus. And in the middle, he said, I'm trying to reflect that in my life. That's why when I told you I wanted to come to you, I fully intended to come to you. And if I didn't, there was some providential hindrance that kept me from coming to you. I was not duplicitous in my heart. I was straightforward. I want and wanted to come to you. I love that. He sandwiches his own faithfulness, his straightforward faithfulness based on the faithfulness of God. And isn't that something we should do as well? Not only should we be truthful, but we should be straightforward. It shouldn't with us sometimes be yes and, be no, and other times be no to the same question. You know, it is that we are consistent, that we're straightforward about the truth. Now, I don't know if you ever had this happen to you, but sometimes people closest to us, for instance, people in our family will call us out on those inconsistencies. Have you ever noticed that? It starts very early in life. I remember uh, when my daughter was very, very young, I think she had only learned to speak in the previous few months, but, but Karen was always one to talk uh, to our daughter, Anna Grace, you know, so when they, whenever they started the day, Karen would say, okay, here's what we're going to do today. Very exciting. Uh, we're going to get up, we're going to get dressed, uh, we're going to go to the library, and then we're going to go to the store, and then we might go buy Chick-fil-A. And so Anna Grace is like, okay. And so they're driving along, and they go to the library, and inevitably, Karen sees someone that she talks to longer than she thought, and they go directly to Chick-fil-A. And it would not be uncommon in the back seat for Anna Grace to say, Mom, Mom, you said we were going to the library, to the store, and to Chick-fil-A. And we're going from the library to Chick-fil-A. Inconsistency. You said library, store, Chick-fil-A, and now we're going... Library, Chick-fil-A, how can I trust you? No, as a, as a two-year-old, she didn't go that far. But effectively, what she was saying is there, there's an inconsistency. I don't know about you, but if you're in any kind of relationship with somebody, eventually you will have this conversation. You will say, well, I've decided, uh, you know, to wear the blue suit this week. And uh, this person who's close to you, maybe a spouse, maybe a boyfriend or a girlfriend or whatever the case may be, they say, you said you were wearing the gray suit. And it's like, why do we love to do that? You know, does it matter whether I wear the blue suit or the gray suit? I know some of you are like, I'd just be thankful if the pastor wore a suit. But neither here nor there. And we find those inconsistencies oftentimes are more serious. In other words, if we're going to reflect the faithfulness of God, not only are we truthful, but we're straightforward in that truth. It's not sometimes one thing and sometimes another. 
but we're consistent. Thirdly, I love it as we continue to look at the faithfulness of God, we find that it is cooperative. It is cooperative. It helps us. I love uh, these passages. For instance, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, when the Apostle Paul is greeting the church there, he says in verse 4, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. I love it. Here, as Paul begins his letter to the Corinthians, he wants to remind them of this marvelous truth that God has called them and that God is faithful and will sustain them so that they get all the way to the end, guiltless in the day of Christ Jesus. This is such a popular refrain in Paul. We see it again in 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, 23 and 24 and Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, where he says, I'm assured of this, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. What is he saying? God's faithfulness exhibits itself in that he will support you all the way to the desired destination. What is the desired destination of every believer? That we make it to the end faithful in Jesus Christ, that we trust in him. And he says in each of those passages that we will come to a day of completion when our struggle with sin will finally be over, when the corruption of our flesh will finally be dealt with, and Paul says, God is faithful. He will be with you all the way to the desired goal. He will be helpful. He will be cooperative to you. I love that. My wife likes to use a phrase uh, in uh, many of the things that she does in women's ministry uh, that she says that we are walking each other home. We are walking each other home. There is a sense in which we reflect that cooperative faithfulness of God to, that is working to make sure we get to that end that God has for us to be complete in Christ Jesus. We reflect that in that we help one another along the way as we head home. Do you know that's part of the reason we gather together? In Hebrews, we see that we should encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, lest anyone be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Why do we do that? Because we need help if we're going to get to the end. We need help. And yes, God is faithful. He's going to get us there. But his means of help is often the men, women, and young people sitting all around you. We help one another. We help one another to get to the end. That's a way we reflect the faithfulness of God. If we are going to be uh, one in whom complete confidence can be placed, we'll be one that helps people get to the goal. Now, Paul has already said here in Galatians chapter 5, that's not the way we always work. He says that sometimes we're working out of the flesh. And he says it's evident. I will just pick a few Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. That's not helping anybody get to the goal. 
He says, when we work out of our flesh, when we're not depending on the spirit, when we're not allowing Christ to work in and through us, we actually are elbowing and shoving and pushing others down as we try to reach our goal. But faithfulness is being mindful of how the person around me needs to be helped toward the goal. How do you think about the people in this church? Let's just make it personal. Do you think of everybody else in this church as that they're only here to help you along your journey? Or do you see them as people you have the beautiful opportunity to help? That you can cooperate with them as they become more like their Savior, Jesus Christ. God's faithfulness is shown in making sure his people make it all the way to the end. And that means even when it's tough, I love it. God is compassionate to us even in these situations. I love what Paul says later to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, in verse, we'll pick it up in verse 12. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. I love that. I love that passage. Now, I know that many of you are facing currently temptations and you're like, Lord, I'm waiting, please help me. And many of you have faced temptations and it might have been difficult for you to discern how God was providing that way for escape. But what Paul is saying is God is faithful even when you're in trouble. Because what is temptation? Temptation is that presence of an alternative to do the opposite of what God wants you to do. You've got yourself in a situation or a situation has gotten a hold of you. And you're in that place where it's so easy to do the thing that dishonors God, that creates the conflict in the relationship, that'll drag you down, that'll hurt you physically, mentally, and spiritually, that place of temptation. And I love it. He says God's faithfulness doesn't end in those dark places, but he's faithful in those dark places. He's faithful in it. He doesn't abandon you there. He helps you there. He helps you that you might find a way out of it. How in the world do we reflect that? Well, by being compassionate people. You know, sometimes when we forget the reality of saving faith, that we're only right with God because of his loving intervention, and that all we do is receive the gift that he's given. We forget the living faith that our significance, meaning and purpose only comes through Jesus Christ even now. And when we see people in those dark places and times of trouble, we more react with tisk tisk. What an idiot. And there's no compassion. No compassion for our brother or sister who's in a time of trial and temptation. Instead, we would prefer to judge than compassionately reflect the faithfulness of God and get in there and help them find a way out. You see, compassion is a merciful thing because it takes people where we find them and we seek to be God's agents to help people find a way out of that dark place where they are. I love that. God is faithful. And that he meets us right there. He 
If you are in one of those places right now, I pray that someone will come alongside of you and be with you and help you and walk with you through that dark place to the area of escape that God has provided. If you're in that area, I pray that you will sense the Lord's spirit in your life, giving you the pathway to get out of that temptation that you're in. This is the way God shows his faithfulness. Lastly, I want us to understand that when we are faithful, there is one last step and it's a multiplying faithfulness. A multiplying faithfulness. When Paul writes a letter to Uh, I I really think his favorite spiritual son, his protege, Timothy. And he's trying to encourage Timothy about how to be effective in ministry. I love what he says to him in 2 Timothy chapter 2. And starting in verse 1, he says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust the faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You see, he says, I want you to be on the lookout for people who can be depended on. People you can put your trust in. Faithful people, not only faithful to you, but faithful to God's word. I want you to find those people who love the word of God, love what it teaches. And he says, I want you to train them so that they can then share that word with other people. Do you know that the church doesn't move forward unless we are faithful in the sense of telling the story that we've heard to others? As uh, Steve Brown used to always say in my seminary days, we're just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. But if you do that, you're faithful. You are faithful with what God has shown you. He's shown you you're a beggar. He's shown you there is the bread of life in Jesus Christ. And that may be all you know, but you're faithful to share that with someone else. You know, we do that with the smallest of our people down in a trailhead. We do it as they get older in base camp and in middle school ministry and high school ministry. We do it in RUF and college ministry. And what are we doing? We're just being faithful to pass along what God has taught us so that other people can know about the faithful God who loves them and wants them to put their trust in him. See, that's part of it. That's how the church continues to expand. The kingdom of God here in Colorado Springs, the West and the world is because people take up the mantle. They say, I will be a faithful person. I will be a faithful man. I will be a faithful woman. I will not let everything God has taught me end up being a cul-de-sac inside of my head and heart, but I will be a conduit spreading it to whoever will listen by reflecting his faithfulness, by being there in the dark places with people, showing compassion uh, for them, by coming alongside of them and helping them toward their goal, by being straightforward and truthful. I will reflect by his grace as the spirit works in me, his faithfulness. You see, this is what Paul wants for the church in Galatia and for us. And again, how does this happen? I have to say this every time. Anytime you talk about an ethical principle, you have to say this. You will not see this characteristic grow in you by straining for it. This is not the moment for you to be on the weight bench and you're like, okay, I'm gonna throw that weight of faithfulness on there. You know, that's not the way it works. I know y'all are like, that is not the way I lift weights, man. 
Clearly you're going to hurt yourself, Pastor Chris. That's okay. I have. I don't do it. It's fine. But I think we often think that way. I'm going to throw the weight of faithfulness on there and I'm going to strain until I can get that thing over my head. And notice Paul says, we have to reiterate this, this is the fruit of the Spirit. This is Jesus living in you through his Spirit. This is you continuing to trust in him. This is the characteristic that depending on him will cause to grow through the power of his Spirit. And so what do I do with this if I think, man, I need to see these characteristics of faithfulness growing in my life? Repent of trying to do it yourself. Repent of the many ways you haven't been faithful and ask Jesus for help. Lord, help me. I'm telling you that's your best prayer. Everybody can remember that, right? I don't know. I'm going to test you. Say it with me. Lord, help me. I knew you could. And when you mean it and you're crying out to him, forgive me, Lord, help me. The spirit works in our life to grow love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you for how faithful you are to us. Lord, your word is right. Let you be true and every man a liar, for we are. We are inconsistent. We are purposely faithless so many times. And yet your faithfulness is not diminished. Your determination to show your love to your people. Your absolute relentless love shown in tangible ways to us never ends. Lord, I pray that we will see faithfulness growing in our life, not because we're trying harder, but because we are leaning more fully upon Jesus and seeking your help to produce this fruit in our lives. Give us grace. We pray even now in Jesus' name. Amen.